0: This is The Real Good Podcast. My name is John Roebuck. With me is Derek Armstrong. Sir, yes, sir. And Blake Curtis. Hello. This week's episode is called You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Ang Lee. And that's because (laughs) we're talking about Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, the brand new Ang Lee movie. It's been out here in Australia for a a week or just under a week. Uh, But it's been out in America since November the 11th. Um, It's unique in uh, at least one way and maybe, depending
1: on what you guys say, more than one way. Blakey, what did you think? Um, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, I would heard a little bit of, about it um, beforehand in terms of it had been shot in 120 frames per second. Um, but nowhere in Australia was showing it in 120 frames per second. I know John and I were a bit disappointed about that. But yeah. in the end, I think I was quite happy that I didn't see it in 100 I completely yeah. forgot yeah, about who that. Who
0: out of you yeah. two... I guess Blakey, you're the filmmaker, will mm. explain what 120 frames per second is, and also what that means in relation to every other film yep. in the world.
1: Yeah. So uh, usually films are generally recorded at 25 frames a second. 20,
0: isn't it
1: 24? 24 in America, 25 in Australia.
0: And, and has been since the silent era.
1: Yes. Um, and they, sometimes we do play around with it. Some people do 28, some people do 30. Um, Peter Jackson? Yes, for The Hobbit. Um, that's the, the most, and the and master the 48, right? Yes. Yeah. 48. Was the master in 48? Uh, yeah, the, I don't know if it was in 48. It was in an interesting frame rate. I can't remember exactly but what it was. I, like. I guess the
0: thing behind the 24 frames per second thing is that's the minimum amount of frames that we can film in before it looks, uh, you know, uh, jerky or like, so it looks naturally,
1: the mm-hmm. movement looks natural. Yes. Um, and,
2: uh, but what is the advantage of having 120 frames per second? What's it supposed to do for you?
1: Well, I think it's just meant to, I guess, manipulate how you see movement. Um, so one of the things that we often do as filmmakers is, which is not what they did. So what we do in film, as filmmakers, sometimes we um, shoot in 120 frames per second and then we'll play it back at 25 frames per second and that's how mm-hmm. you create slow motion. Um, and that's how you create slow motion in film. Um, and so if you think about it, when we're talking about 120 frames per second, what we're actually talking about is, um, if you think about a film, Mm -hmm. um, each individual little, um, window or square of a film, Mm -hmm. that's a single frame. So film,
2: what's that? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which it, yeah, it's probably not applicable anymore in in the digital era. Um, but they still use that term and that's how you use it when you're changing the camera. So 120 frames per second, and then they play it back at 120 frames per second, um, means that more frames are going
2: through the gate um, quickly, and so you're seeing a lot more. Would you detail. have noticed something, anything different, though, if if it weren't played in that? I haven't personally, and no. I must admit that. Yes. I, like,
1: I saw the Hobbit. I saw the Hobbit in that special frame of the forty-eight, um, and it. I didn't really notice too much of a difference. I noticed a little bit of a difference. I know, John, you have you noticed a big difference. Well, I, I did massively.
0: I think. Um, uh, we need to um, uh, emphasize that, um, yeah, pretty much most films are hovering around the 24, 25. The, uh, the The big one that moved up from that was the Hobbit movies are yep. in 48 and it's extreme. I don't know. Is this the only film that it's ever been filmed in 120 frames? All feature films? Yeah. I hadn't heard of yeah. it before. Yeah. So. It and I thought there was a huge difference with The Hobbit. Like yeah. it, to, to me, it didn't look like a film at all. I mean, when you think about films, films don't look like real life. Mm. It looked like that setting on your yeah. TV.
2: That's not the right setting. Yeah. That you're like, yeah. wait, I got to switch that off. That, yeah. but it's the setting they always put on in the store when you see it. But yeah. Watching, but
0: yeah. watching, um, watching the Hobbit. I'm, I'm not a, to- I'm not averse to the idea. I mean, I was averse to the Hobbits. They, those movies are awful. But I looked forward to every single one because of the experience of watching them in 48 frames per second. Because it was just such a crazy mm-hmm. thing to look at. Um, having said that, I think I don't know if I've said this yet. But uh, there's no way of watching uh, Billy Lynn in 125 yeah. frames per second in Australia. Mm. And I think there's only maybe two or three cinemas showing it in America at 125 frames which per second. Seems like a, yeah. Which begs the question, why the hell Ang Lee did it in the first place yeah. if he was going to like make a film that's in, oh, yeah? Accessible. Jackson
2: had to get a bunch of cinemas to actually upgrade their yeah. technology in order to even play yeah. The yeah. Hobbit. So, and, 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 and like that yeah. was for The Hobbit, That was a huge
0: movie. Yeah. And Ang Lee was never going to be able to do that. So why make a film in a format... That you can't watch the the or like the correct version in it 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 bothers me that I haven't been able to watch this movie. In well, let's
2: talk 100%. about the actual quality of the film. it <laughs> yeah. well, we has one hundred and twenty frames. Just before
1: we do, I think it might be actually about the studio. I think maybe because Ang League's now, you know, after Life of Pi, which was also visually um, just there's nothing like it. Um, he probably pull, pulled his pushed his weight around a little bit in. Getting the 120 frames per but second. But toward what end, I and guess, then is I question. Reckon, but then yeah. I think the studio were probably the ones who were like, no.
2: Nah. Yeah.
1: Um, and like I said at the start, I'm glad that I didn't see it in 120 frames per second because all the reviews of the people who have seen it like that... Are, said it was like... No good. Nauseating. Good. Yeah. And, and it really like gave people headaches.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, like...
2: Which, which I mean, would, you're a
0: film completionist, uh, Derek, yeah. maybe the biggest film completionist I know. <laughs> and like, doesn't it bother you that there's this film that is director-made and you can't, we, we, unless we go pretty soon to America, well, you are going to America well, soon. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, there's these two cinemas in the world, essentially, that are showing this film in the correct format. It doesn't
2: bother me because i got to tell you, I didn't like this film at all. Oh well, wow, okay. I don't think that I would ever want to see it in any format again. Yeah. <laughs> I got to be honest. I um, and you haven't even got to say your your good things yet because no. like, we got distracted. But <laughs> yeah. um, well, I actually, and we've to moved hear- on now, so you yeah. never will get. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I actually, wanted to hear from you first anyway because, um, and John and I said this after we watched the film that we were curious to see what you thought because you are an American <laughs> and it is such an American story. Um, and as someone pointed out that we watched it with, it's a Chinese director making, yeah, um, and like interpreting the American,
2: right. Which is, which he's comfortable life. interpreting anybody's. He, I mean, he's made he made Sense and Sensibility in England. He made, um, you know, in Hong Kong, he made um, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And it
0: was last caution also in Hong
2: Kong movie. Or? Yes, I think yeah. so. Which is that's a really good film too. So, actually, yeah. it's yeah. um, it's underrated. Under, yeah, 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 and so so. I usually would trust Lee with any material. Um, and it has. It makes no difference that it's American. I mean, I think he can adapt anybody. But boy, this. I thought this film was really tone deaf. I thought it. I thought it. It, it was stiff. I thought the acting was really bad. Um, I, and I thought it was interesting. It was trying to be a critique of patriotism and jingoism, but the only tools it had to 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 make that critique were the tools of patriotism and jingoism. It was like. It couldn't help but be kind of sappy and mawkish. I thought, um, and I just, I just didn't believe any of it. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry, no, guys. No, like, yeah. I hate to just shit on this film, but yeah. I did not like it at all. Yeah, uh,
0: Mikey.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree in what you were saying in that I didn't believe any of the film, and it was funny. It's like, as an example, I thought Vin Diesel was awful as an he was he's terrible. 50
2: years old too like what's he doing with a bunch of 25 years <laughs> 50 oh he's got to be almost fifty. <laughs> yeah like, good-looking d- yeah. don't forget he was in saving private ryan 20 years ago
1: yeah could have been well, that's true actually I didn't think okay that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um Vin diesel but, oh, man. but i mean not, and
2: he was a sergeant so like he could have been older but like what was he doing there yeah. and it was just he was just like a sacrificial saint yeah. I'm Sorry, spoiler alert. He, well, you don't actually. You know from the start that he's gonna that he's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, he, but he's the only character that that dies uh, among the among the soldiers in this fight. What I didn't get at all was why this event that occurred was heralded as this great act of heroism by this Bravo unit. Yeah, they had one. They had one guy who ran out and was shot and essentially accomplished nothing, which was Vin Diesel. They had another guy <laughs> that ran out to he's save him. All. And then <laughs> he saved him, and he pulled out a, a pistol and and fired at some insurgents. Yeah, I think And the exact- then a bunch of tanks came in and blew the rest of the insurgents away. I didn't even see. And maybe that was the point. Maybe the point was yeah. that we celebrate these acts of war, um, and they don't really even mean anything.
1: I, I think that was the point, and I think it was the image. It was the image of him with the handgun standing over his fallen comrade. I think the image but, was what. But what well, I like about the film brother. sort of
0: goes on from that is that like it did a good job for me at showing just how disconnected. like like how do you reconcile war with everything else? You know what I mean? You come home and there's just no way of, you know, like these guys are like, you know, celebrating this thing going on, but like, there's just no way of ever connecting your whole life with this experience that you've gone through. And you like, yeah,
2: I mean, how do you, but I guess my point is every war film explores that. I didn't think that this one explored it in a way that I hadn't seen before. Um, And in fact, it went out of its way to create these kind of... Biz- I mean, this is purely a work of fiction, right? This is oh, not yeah. based on reality no. at all. Yeah. To create these weird scenarios, like the roadies that keep on attacking them, like they get into this this meaningless fight with a bunch of guys who want them to get off the stage. And then those guys lay in wait and attack them twice more. Like, I think that was supposed to be kind of like, oh, they're, the, they're insurgents or something like that. But it, just, it was just an example of a scene that felt stagey and didn't mean anything to me. It was certainly and,
0: very stagey. Yeah. And I,
2: and I think... But I think consciously so.
0: Absolutely. And whether that was for a purpose, I mean, like, I mean, to create the... I mean, it, the whole film made me feel uncomfortable. But I think it was definitely an, an intentional thing, whether it was to like sort of um, replicate, you know, PTSD as much as you you know possibly yeah. could for someone who's never experienced PS- PTSD.
1: And, and I think that was the thought process behind shooting at one twenty frames per second to, to create this thing where it didn't feel like reality. Well, it felt well. He's weird. come back from
0: war, and he's like he's he's been thrust into this like really intense situation, like that isn't war. You know what I mean? Like like com- this intense like football. Thing that should be a celebration, but this 120 frames per second thing I felt like is forcing this football game to be as confronting as it might have been for Billy Lynn coming home from the war.
1: Yes, that's fair, and that's yeah. what I think that was the idea. Like, you know, when the mum bangs the table, he's really jumpy. Like, there were moments throughout where you could really see it. And for me, which I was saying earlier, like, which I think is really, and I believe it, which I think's weird, is I think. Vin Diesel's acting was deliberately shit. Not whether he was being a shit actor, because I think he is just a shit actor. But I think Ang Lee was smart enough to make him a shit actor. He was being idealized. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. And that I think that was the con- no, the idea because all all every time we saw Vin Diesel, it was this guy's memories. And so the character of Vin Diesel wasn't a real person; he was a memory. And a lot of what was happening was in B- Billy Lynn's head and it was his interpretation of what was happening in the world and around. interpretation him. was a 50 year old man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it looks I, great. <laughs> Blake, I totally believe that. That's a really yeah.
2: good read of that. And I think that probably also explains some of these extreme close-ups we were getting. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like you get, you get somebody's face, like, you know, just a few centimeters away from the camera speaking Staring to, to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of first person. There's a lot of looking directly into the camera lens. Yeah. and And I think that that's, that's a useful thing to do. And I, I like the artistic intention behind it. But the fact is it just, it just felt flat to me. It didn't, didn't, it didn't move me at all.
0: Yeah. It didn't, I don't know if it moved me, but it, it was, I mean, it's, it's a strange film, but it's a unique film. And I got a surprise, like it's quite hit and miss, but I think for me it was a lot more hit. And I got a lot out of it, even though I think your criticisms are definitely um, uh, true. Um, and there, it was stagey and there was a lot that was quite naff about it. I think just watching a movie with it, it's just so strange in how it's put together uh, and does succeed in, in, a, in a lot of ways, at least for me. I mean, I, 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 literally, I, I mean, I saw the movie with Blakey um, as we were talking about and um, the first thing I said was, like, I wonder what Derek will think about it because it's, <laughs> it's I felt like it was quite critical of American um, culture.
2: Yeah. It, it, yeah, for sure. There's no doubt about that. But it's also got these kind of like single, you know, bugle kind of playing in the soundtrack, this kind of very um, traditional way to kind of um, lionize these characters and make them seem like they're, they're truly great. Um, and I think that, you know... Depending on how you feel about this film, you can attribute some of that to what you were talking about, Blake, with the perspectives. Yeah. like this is all something that he's seeing, or that is being thrust onto that moment by these conventions that we have about how we see soldiers and how we see mm-hmm. people that that serve uh, serve their country and and try to fight for freedom. You know, and I think that's all there. Yeah, um, I guess for me, I just. So like some of the things were just like what I consider to be, I mean, when we're talking about bad performances, I thought Steve Martin was really bad. Mm. He and was And I don't feel like that could have been intentional. No, right? I, I, I think that was just a bad. Performance. He's just stiff and he yeah. can't do a Texas accent yeah. and he just can't really act anymore. What, you did you think, what did you think of the main guy, Billy Lynn? Cause that was his <sighs> first film. I mm. disliked him a lot. Okay. Mm. I really didn't. I, he was too wet. Yeah.
1: Okay. See, I really, I, I liked him and I actually feel like Lee in this was channeling a lot of David Lynch. Um, Mm, It reminded me a lot of of Blue Velvet, Um, you know, this kind of innocent child getting swept up into this world and the characters not really making a whole lot of sense in terms of um, how we present them to the world. And it just, their perception of the way people were talking and interacting reminded me of Blue Velvet and and Twin Peaks a lot.
0: I don't think I agree with you, but I actually know, I can see where you're coming from. Like there's certainly, you could make that into, I mean, I think I disagree, but I, I, yeah. I
2: feel well, yeah. Well, yeah. Blue Velvet has that kind of sheen of, of, of kind of... Um, of reality. Well, it's no, a cool was, way of looking at this film, for sure. Yeah, a really cool way but I think
1: it, that's yeah. why I really enjoyed it. And the, I think the other element um, to that idea as well is the um, concept of... What I was talking about er- earlier, when I was talking about um, Vin Diesel, and I think your comment about Steve Martin was accurate as well, and like not seeing the
2: Destiny's Childs, like they're, they're, oh, that, I, I want to talk mean? about yeah, that. That was annoying. That was yeah. that it was, was distracting. But that was, that was really kind of my favorite. There was something about that that I kind of liked in this weird kind of way of. It all seeming unreal, like that you're stuck talking about. As yeah. I'm forming an opinion of it, because they went to great lengths to never show any of the faces of those three yeah. women, so that you would not know that it was someone impersonating Beyonce. But I think it was also, as you were
1: saying, and as we are talking about it, I think, and this is, I th- and I don't want like I don't want to offend anyone, but I think it's the American Dream is a show and it's not real. It's not like even the idea that you see him. You see that scene where he walks in the front door and there's the dog and then he's having sex with that cheerleader in the back. It's the American dream to be a soldier of war and have the cheerleader and to, you know, have this bravado. And then, you know, at the end he goes, geez, I could just run away with you. And she goes, but you can't because you're a war hero. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that Destiny's Child and the halftime show and all of these layers is selling the war Mm -hmm. and the idea to the oil And I think it wanted to... I think he was doing it in this way because I think he wanted to have this reaction where people react differently to it, and they'll have a conversation with it. I think he just wanted Americans, in particular, to to, to look at that kind of stuff. This is as
0: good a time as any, Derek, to say um, you're off the podcast.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's interesting. I don't feel like my uh, status as an American citizen really plays into how I feel about the film at all. Yeah. Like I, I would love, I love any film that. Criticizes America, and I love. I also love a film that celebrates it in the right way. So yeah. I have no preconceived um, notions about that. But I just didn't. If you're trying to, t- if, so- if you're trying to tell me, and I'm not saying you are, but that that he made things intentionally stagey to to create a certain reaction. I say, well, that's well and good, but the reaction it created in me was one of, uh, you know, distaste. Like I just wanted, yeah. I didn't, I wanted to stop watching it. I was very bored. I thought it was very long. It yeah. just really dragged.
1: I guess it was the idea for me is that he was essentially showing that the American Dream is a show. Yeah, it's all just a show. I think
2: that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, um, but it's, but it's, it's within this context where it's not an obvious satire. Yeah. So it's like, I guess it's a little bit like a, a something for everyone type movie. Yeah. Like, you can read that criticism, but if you are um, a, a war veteran or, you know, a, a, yes. a severely patriotic person, you're also going to see that film in that. And I think... What do you reckon? I think that takes some of the bite out of it. Well, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, I felt like... Um, I'm sort of more with you on this one. I, I, like, I felt like it was quite...
2: Well, here's another thing that that really troubled me about it that the, the one of the primary narrative thrusts was whether they're going to get paid the correct amount that their story is worth. Yeah, and it's like kind of was like reaching uh, and it's a it's emotional cl- climax on that scene where are they going to st- hold out for a hundred thousand dollars or are they going to settle for fifty five hundred dollars? And I felt, boy, this is a really tone deaf way to have this narrative reach a crescendo because it's not, it's like. Maybe that's to your point too, that it's all comes down to dollars and cents yeah. and, and the actual patriotism or whatever's being celebrated is completely meaningless. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What, what are you fellows,
1: um, uh, how do you feel about Ang Lee in general? We'll start with Blakey cause you I, spoke. I really like him. Yeah. Um, and I really like his, um, I don't know what you call it, uh, his desire or his willingness to, and I think I've said this to you guys a lot not to I really appreciate when people try something different. Mm. And that's what I've, I, I always, I always crap on about Marvel, but I've always just want them to try something different. Well, Langley's is the king of that. And I mean,
2: he is. He's more versatile director than And he's Lee, even done right? a Marvel movie. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, the Hulk. Hulk. Oh, I forgot about that. That was actually. before Marvel Studios. Yeah. But, but that's. Jeez, I yeah. forgot. Um,
1: well, from but that sure. was a
2: that was an example of the kind of filmmaker he is making yeah. something completely different yeah. from it. Every time he goes out, he makes something completely different from his last film. And yeah. to be honest, I actually think the
0: Hulk had quite a lot in common with Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk in the sense it was really Ang Lee going completely off the wall. Like mm. the Hulk was a strangely made film, mm. um, and uh, you know, like the Ice Storm or um, uh, Last Course or Sense and Sensibility, they're more like they're more traditionally made films, whereas. The Hulk and Billy and they're really really off the wall, yeah,
2: yeah. and I think um, I think I was thinking about this earlier in anticipation of this question, and I think what it is is I appreciate Lee tremendously like i I have there's no end to my admiration for him. however, his actual films, they're probably not in my top two hundred top three hundred films. Like I would say my favorite is probably the ice storm. I and actually yeah, quite respect movie, sense yeah. and sensibility. I think it's really good. and Crouching Tiger is for what it is. it's terrific. um, but I that never. That never got me the same way that some of his other films, and and of course you can't forget, um, uh, as I forget its title, yeah. uh, the gay cowboy movie, Broke <laughs> back, <laughs> Broke back Mountain*, which is which is a tremendously made film. Um, but they're they're not. They well, he doesn't make great movies. He yeah. ma-
0: he he makes really really good movies. And I mean the the most astonishing thing about him is how versatile he is yes. at making these really really good movies. Mm. But I don't think he's got a great. He has made. He, Hasn't made a
1: great movie yet, and I don't know if he's got one in him. See, for but me, Life of Pi was great. That, that I, I in terms of a technical, I achievement. It was technical I achievement, I absolutely no. agree. That's one of his B sides. No. no, in terms of like the story, like it's commentary about like religion and God. For me, just have, have you, you read the book? Of, no, because I read the book, yeah, and I think too. it's
0: sort of like I'd already sort of experienced what that story had to say from the book.
1: Yeah. So, um, so for me, yeah, that film just really, really. But he's, he, he, and it was one of those ones that I thought about for weeks and weeks, and I still think about it now. You should uh, check out the Ice Storm if you haven't seen it. It's yeah. awesome. It's yeah, no, and he never makes well, a
2: dud. He's it, like even the even uh, the Hulk is a dud in a lot, among most people's um, impressions of it. But it's really it's it's there's a thought of thought put into it, and a lot of misfires. Mm. But it's overall, it's an interesting film, and I wouldn't dismiss it.
1: Yeah, well, I think
0: that's well, it's what, not a, it's not a dud for lack of. Um, Energy, right. or, Yeah, no. or right. creativity,
1: and I think that's what I like most about him is he makes film. It's he seems to make films for him. He, he doesn't seem to give a fuck what other people,
0: well, especially with this. this. I mean, he, won, he He's coming off, you know, two best director wins, but and he, you know, he can really do whatever he well, wants. Well, this, this, so. this is made this. It's an
2: interesting film because you would not say that there was like a public hunger for this type of film to be made. In fact, the Iraq War films that came out, um, you know, well, there there were two Iraq Wars, but the 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 the, the ones that have come out have generally been overlooked. Like mm-hmm. they've been kind of low key and small. And this one, they were like, we're going for it. This well, is going to be an Oscar contender. I don't think well, it's there, going to be. There's two but
0: war movies out at the moment. And one of them is Hacksaw Ridge. And one of them's is um, Billy Lynn. And if you look at them, Hacksaw Ridge is about this, um, you know, positivity within warfare about a really, I mean, for lack of a better word, popular war. People are into World War II and it doesn't get much more villainous than the Nazis, even yeah. though he was fighting Japan. Yeah. World War II means Nazis. So this this heroic guy, um, you know, doing something amazing Christian. within war. A Christian, yeah. yeah. Sort of, um, and you'd leave Hacksaw Ridge, you know, paradoxically feeling probably optimistic. Yeah. Whereas Billy Lynn is about, you know, a pretty awful war you know, arguably a moral immoral war uh, and a pretty awful thing that's hap- happening in it. Mm. And Hacksaw Ridge has gotten amazing reviews and is going quite well at the box office and no one's... Apparently, Billy Lynn is like the 25th worst opening of all time in America. Yeah. Wow. And that doesn't
1: surprise me, to be perfectly honest. Because yeah. Because I, I could imagine that... It- like and this is a terrible example, but I I hate the Simpsons episode where they go to Australia because <laughs> what? Oh, come but on, an, but hey Andy <laughs> Yeah, but as an Australian I'm just like that's not what I'm like and that's not what yeah. we're like. I think that's why and I like I it. I think that's <laughs> probably how I, I would think America most a lot of Americans would react. We've narrowed so him down film. to see, a I, guess, <laughs> I guess
2: I don't see the same film that you guys see because I see this film as really speaking to people who just want to see a jingoistic film. Like, I guess I, I, I see the criticism there, of course, but it's very subtle in a lot of ways. And it's so subtle to me that I think it it, it risks being lost. Mm-hmm. So I
0: found it extraordinarily unsubtle, which yeah, is why after too. the screening, well, I, said, okay. oh, I went out what Derek thinks yeah. it is.
2: So, okay, so what I mean by subtle is it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm I'm now stuck in some of my own phrasing here. I think, but it's it it want that film wants to have it both ways. It mm-hmm. wants to be appeal to both people. And for me, I don't think it would have appealed to either. And I have to say about Hacksaw Ridge, <laughs> I, I rank my films as I go during the year. These two are right dead next to each other. Hacksaw uh-huh.
0: Ridge is. Awful yeah i think hacksaw ridge is terrible, it's yeah. terrible. but I, I
2: but i think and i think i only have this one above it out of all the I, i'm glad you two
0: agree both agree with me on the hacksaw yeah. ridge because i went and saw it and you guys hadn't seen it yet and it had gotten like 90 something on rotten tomatoes that 10 minute standing ovation at um uh, venice. toronto or venice yeah. yeah and it was just it's a such a piece of crap yeah yeah, yeah. I,
1: I didn't
2: like it and right.
0: it's
1: incredible because it's such a good subject matter it is. It. it is it is i do want to say one more thing about yes. angley though i which I think is a huge compliment to him, I think with a lot of his films they can be studied and interpreted in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. I remember like in, at, in literature at school when we would read um, Shakespeare as an example, you could interpret what Shakespeare was saying in a number of different ways. And I think that's what I quite like about Ang Lee's films as well. Is you can A lot of his films I think you can interpret differences in it, which is a really hard thing to do because usually – A director has one focus, and that's what they execute on. Well, Life of Pi is
2: kind of, that's the central part of the narrative. Like, what do you think happened in the story? Correct, which is beautiful.
0: Well, in honor of Ang Lee's versatility, um, I want to hear your top three... Uh, most versatile directors now I've got to say before this so every episode about a week or two before we do the episode I get an email from Derek um, asking (laughs) what the top three is and I've completely forgotten about them and then I hash it out with Derek um, and then because it just slips my mind all the time I always forget to tell Blakey (laughs) (laughs) so I've told Blakey the top three about half an hour before we started recording oops (laughs) so um, uh, I'll go first to give him him one more minute
2: to think (laughs) Um, so yeah I'm going to start with a kind of an eccentric choice which is um, the director Tom Tickfer, the German director, and oh,
0: it's, uh, Run Lola Run.
2: R- yes, that the, 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 the there's only three of his films that I really like quite a bit, but the two that I love are so different from each other that he made my list. One is Run Lola Run. The other is a film from 2006 called Perfume: The Story of a Murderer, which is completely a beautifully shot costume drama um, about a man with an extraordinary sense of smell who becomes a serial killer. Hmm. Run, Lola, Run is a gritty, modern-day, um, uh, techno-driven film about a woman kind of doing a choose-your-own-adventure, restarting her wrong decisions in order to, f- to find 20,000 marks in 20 minutes. They're, they couldn't be more different from each other, and they're two of my favorite films. So, uh, And he's also one of the contributors to Cloud Atlas, which I quite admired. Many of his other films I don't particularly care for, but he makes my list for those two. My next is Rob Reiner. And I have to tell you, and I'm going gonna- to... <laughs> I'm going to restrict myself to a seven-year period of his career from well six-year from 1984 to 1990, and I'll just list the titles. <laughs> this is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, Stand by Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, and Misery. That, Ooh. though, that are six terrific films in a row that are completely different from each other. Many of them comedic, but then he ends with Misery at the end, which is a Stephen King horror adaptation. Two Stephen King Howard adaptations, but completely different. One is a nostalgia pick with Sam Me. And I just thought he's and a, made and yeah. a couple
0: of master like all like you know or like really top quality films. In oh yeah, film. this like, is Spinal
2: yeah. Tap is one of the greatest comedies yeah. of all time, <laughs> and he made those from 1984 to 1990 in a space of six years. Wow! And they're completely different from each other. And I'll finish with a, a classic master in Billy Wilder. Um, and Wilder maybe not have, doesn't have quite the same the films may resemble each other a little bit more but you've got you've got um a melancholy comedy drama like the apartment a media satire like ace in the hole a war movie style like 17 a hollywood satire in sunset boulevard a film noir in double indemnity and a broad comedy in some like it hot and that's all from the same man within a you know 15 year period
0: huh.
2: that's it for me like, I like
0: it. it let's see the the, the three. Oh, god uh, if it I makes you feel anybody, mine are really
1: bad. No, can I put Ang Lee in there? Does that count? We, or? No, no, I'm, I'm not. not joking. Joking. Uh, well, maybe you no, can no, if you're joking. desperate. Yeah, <laughs> um, well in third place and I'm, I'm still, I think he's diverse, but I haven't thought about it a great deal. I put Chris Nolan. Um, mm. I know that they're all kind of blockbusters, but I think the the subject matter is really different. Um, the fact that he kind of, he did insomnia, which I really love, which is this detective gritty one. He did the Batman trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did the, you know, he did Interstellar and then he did Inception, which I, I feel like all slightly different.
2: To you don't really I mean. know what's going to come next from him. No, Unless don't. it's a Batman sequel. You don't, which I
1: really <laughs> love. Um, second one is uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. Um, just like he did
2: Jack like that. Yeah. What, what, what how <laughs> crazy <laughs> is it that he made Jack? It's because he, tra- he needed to finance his other films. So he, yeah. took, he took those director for hire gigs. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, and like you know, he did the Godfather, and he, he did um, uh, Apocalypse Now. He did the Conversation. Um, it's quite a diverse kind of little. Did the Conversation
2: in the same year as the Godfather. Yeah, trip. It's incredible.
1: <laughs> um, and then obviously number one, which is just so bleedingly obvious, obvious is Wes Anderson. What Joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, my number one is um, my number one is Danny Boyle. Dan, I, he, he was on my short list. He, yeah. He, well, he, um, he prides himself in being versatile. I've read. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he's another one who's not afraid to take kind of risks. Yeah, I, I remember there was a one that really just, really went off the deep end with with trance. I think it was oh, called. Yeah. Trance. Oh, I didn't like that. That was a no. strange <laughs> choice by him. But you know, he did Slumdog. He did Train Spotting. He did um, Twenty Eight Days Later. Like, it's it just a very. 127 hours. Yes. Yeah. 127 hours.
0: Um. Good list. Good choices. Thank yeah. you, sir. Especially with the, uh, the short notice. <laughs> yeah. I actually think I've done worse than you with a couple of weeks' notice. Um, my third is actually um, Ingmar Bergman, even though most of his films like uh, follow a, sa- like a very similar train of thought. He's also got films like Smiles of a Summer Night, which is like a fun comedy. Um, uh, a film like Shame, which is a war film. He's got horror. Um, fuck, what's his horror called? Hour of the Wolf. Um, and then obviously a lot of existential dramas. <laughs> um but I I also feel like cuz I was thinking about Billy Wilder yeah. and I feel like Ingmar Bergman and Billy Wilder's versatility occupies a similar space for me. They they make sort of very different uh things about very different subjects, but there's yeah. a train of thought that's quite similar to I think that's the true. Yeah. Um equal to I'm sorry is um Danny Boyle and Robertson and not particularly because I like them as filmmakers, but I think they would be sad if they didn't make the list. I feel like they, <laughs> um, I know Danny Boyle prides himself in his versatility, and I feel like Robertson Meekis would as well. Yeah, yeah he goes yeah, out definitely. of his way. Yeah, yeah. Is, he, he at least. I mean, I'm not huge on Robertson Meekis, but he tries to uh, yeah. really uh, try new yeah, things. Yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah. He'd
1: probably be in my list too, actually.
0: And my number one is Howard Hawks because mm. uh, he's done noir, he's done western, like Rio Bravo is unreal. Um, he's done comedy, he's done drama, and um. He's just a generally pretty good
2: director. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I mention one uh, Australian uh, pick here? Peter, Peter, Weir. Weir. Oh, Peter Weir. Peter Weir. Peter Weir. Peter Weir is incredibly diverse. One. Yeah,
0: we've actually got to apologise for not including Peter Weir because he's an, an awesome director. Yeah, yeah. He is. yeah, and doesn't get enough credit. Uh, yeah, the, the credit he deserves. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, good talking to you fellows. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Derek. Uh, My pleasure And thank you Blakey Thank you Jaws. My name's John Roebuck, Or Jaws. Uh, (laughs) This has been the Real Good Podcast And next episode We'll be back with Rogue One A Star Wars Story For better or for worse (laughs) See you later guys See ya (laughs)